Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm glad to be back, and it's uh, episode 45. Uh, glad to be back, guys. Thanks for joining me here in beautiful Dayton Studios. For sure, Absolutely. for sure. Sterlington, Tony DeSero. Glad to see your back's doing well. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, how are you feeling? I can move again, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, so sorry uh, for last week. We kind of missed the deadline for, for last week's set podcast obviously and for those of you who follow us on facebook or twitter etc you probably already know that uh i managed to throw my back out trying to move a water heater up a set of cellar stairs by myself for some reason so (laughs) (laughs) i was out of commission for uh for about up until now since last week so thanks for all the uh the positive tweets and emails and everything you guys been sending me appreciated that and we're ready to get back to it to our regularly scheduled program here um, we've been trying to talk about turntable maintenance and uh, care and, and so on. We want to talk, you know, we talk a lot about digital DJing and haven't really gone back to the basics of if we have a set of decks, how do we take care of them? Right. Um, and I think that's important to address. Uh, even for me personally, I, I'm going to actually take a seat, uh, back, back seat to you in this episode trip and kind of let you lead because... I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about how to better take care of my turntables. Sure. Um, there's a lot of things that I don't know about it and a lot of knobs and dials on it that I've, uh, I should know way more about having owned decks for as many years as I have now. So <laughs> <All right. laughs> hoping to clear some of this up. So maybe you can... I've had them since 91, and the only thing I know is to tape a penny on top of my <laughs> head shell to make it heavier. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There is some truth to that for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I, um, and I'm glad that you, you that that you mentioned that because, I mean, let's face it, especially when we're talking about uh, the technique turntable, which is what we're really going to cover. A lot of this stuff will transcend turntables in general. But I'm glad you said that. I was going to address that. We're going to kind of use the the. SL twelve hundred as our yeah, reference point. It's the it it always has been the standard, and I'm sure that the uh, the Pioneer uh, table, you know, is going to be pretty similar to this. I mean, there there's just some things that that will transcend and uh, you know be applicable all uh, across all models. Some models aren't going to be as complicated as a twelve hundred and and not have all of the same options, but and some will have these features applied in different ways in different or ways, yeah. may not have may not have them or you know some of the modifications we talk about uh, might be features already built into a certain model. So right. if some of that doesn't make sense for your particular model of turntable, that's why we're using the 1200 as our reference right for however many decades you know the 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 1200 has been the industry standard so while there are several other turntables and you know and all of them have their merits you know pros and cons or whatever but you know the 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 1200 is the most autonomous so cadillac yeah (laughs) right right and so i i felt that one was the most uh, well, I'd also wager a guess that out of our audience of listeners that has turntables, the most likely one they're going to have is, is the absolutely, 1200. So absolutely. it makes sense for us to start there. Right. So um, another caveat to that that I'll throw in there is that um, for some of the things that we get into later in the show, 
Um, it's going to really only apply to a Mark II um, when we get into a couple of the customization pieces. Um, but that doesn't mean that you, that the 3Ds or the, the, the Mark Vs and you know, all of that stuff... You know, there, there are some things that you can do with all of them, and the basic design has carried through from the Mark II all the way through to even the new, well, the new um, the new 1200 SAE and all that. Uh, they actually had to start, you know, with a, a new, mm. with new machinery and stuff. So right. I don't know how close they stayed to the original design or, or whatever, but I would, I would assume it's going to be pretty damn close. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that there are some kind of changes because I think even the weight is different. If really? I recall. Yeah. It, it I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember right off the top of my head from at this point, but I think you're right. I think there was something there. Did it, it, it increased in weight, right? I like, think so. Yeah. yeah so, um, so since, <coughs> so since you brought it up, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're using the Mark II as kind of our reference point. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean for, for our listeners who may not know? What is a Mark II and how does it differentiate it from any other form? Sure. So um, all we're talking about is uh, the generation of a 1200. So there's the 1200s and 1210s. Uh, for all intent and purposes, the same thing. Um, <clears throat> there There is a difference, but that's beyond the scope of this show. Um, but uh, so a Mark II, if you look at your turntable, where it says SL1200, there's usually a, an MK2, an M3D, an, uh, an MK5. Uh, I think there's even an M5G or something along those lines. So there, And all that is is just the next generation up. So sure. it's, it's the same base model, which is your 1200, 1210, um, but the, each mark or each generation yeah. in, in that line has some new feature that the previous one did An not. extra bell or whistle. Right, yeah, exactly. so for DJs who have always been digital, um, it, it's similar to like when you have the Control S4 and then the Mark II version comes out, right. except for probably not as drastic of changes as you see in the controller world, but right. same idea. Right. Or as, the, you know, the DDJ SX versus the SX2. It's just the next right. iteration of the same. That's a perfect example, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so, and, and I want to throw this out as a, as a disclaimer, um, mostly because if you go out anywhere on the internet and look up how to do any of this stuff, everybody else says it too, but you are at your own discretion doing any of this stuff. So, um, you know, proper use, proper care. And even once we start getting into like customizations and stuff, Whatever you, whatever you just decide to do, I am not responsible for it. It is up to you to do your due diligence and know that you know how to use a soldering iron and <laughs> and, and all of that sort of thank stuff. Thank you for that. Good, yeah. good looking out. <laughs> um, send yeah, all we, We're not responsible for anything you decide to do, whether or not our information is correct. <laughs> send lawyer <laughs> inquiries to David at... No, no, no don't do that. Don't do just that. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, so so yeah. So proper disclaimer here. You know, do this at your own risk if 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 it is something that you decide to uh, to embark on, but uh, beyond your basic, you know, uh, care and maintenance. 
So that being said, nothing that we're going to talk about is going to be anything terribly crazy, probably other than maybe that we're going to, the are end, we going to talk about mods. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about a few mods that I've done to my to my own turntables, uh, yeah. just because I know that there were uh, there were quite a few hits on the uh, Instagram page yeah, Instagram when you posted loves mine. Your, so. Loves your decks. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I figure that, you know, I can go over the, the mods that I at least have, uh, experience with. Okay, cool. For sure. Uh, everything else will probably be fairly straightforward and not yeah. dangerous per Dude. se, but, um, it's still worth mentioning because, you know, if we tell you to calibrate your turntable in a certain way and you misinterpret it or something happens and then, you know, suddenly your, your wax is getting worn out too fast or now, something. calibration... Right. When you calibrate it for scratching as opposed to just playing a record, they're completely different, right? Yes. Okay, so you, can we cover that as well? Yep. Like the difference? Okay, yep, great. absolutely. Awesome. So, <clears throat> so can, can we start in a place of just like, since I'm coming at this as, you know, I, I'm almost a listener in this episode, so I want to know, you know, I, I have a stake in this because I've got a set of turntables that I want to make sure I've got properly calibrated. Sure. So... Is that where you guys want to start is calibration? We can do that. If sure. you don't mind. Yeah. No, uh, well, not, not actually what I'd like to start with is like, I, I'm imagining walking straight up to my decks right now and looking at them and what do I see? Well, first of all, they're a mess. <laughs> so, I mean, do you cover cleaning and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. Or? So, I mean, the, the great part about Technique 1200s at the at least is that, you know, it's it's a rugged piece of machinery. We're talking yeah. the, the top the top piece you know, which is typically either, you know, that, that, that matte gray or a matte black. You're talking the platter or the, the, the casing? The, 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 casing. the, the casing. Okay. Yeah, so the top part of that is aluminum. So that is a durable, lightweight metal, but, I mean, you're not going to hurt that, you know, yeah. in any way. Um, and then the bottom part is a heavy uh, sound-dampening rubber, with other pieces like inside of it, I don't know if that's like carbon fiber or so. I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's heavy duty stuff underneath that. And part of all of that design was for sound dampening in a club environment. Okay. So that's that's why those that's why a, a set of decks is so heavy. You know, it, because that's that's what they were designed mm. to do was gotcha. absorb the sound. So when you're when you're talking about the outside of it pretty much whatever you want to clean it with you know if you want to dab a little windex i don't <laughs> I, like, I don't that's know funny that, that you mentioned that because i was just gonna say i've been using like windex and i don't know if that's okay and i'm afraid <laughs> to say it no I, I honestly and and if anybody out there knows any different feel free to correct us but i mean literally like for me caring for my turntables over the years it's just been you know take like a a, a lightly damp uh, washcloth mm -hmm. and just like the slightest little bit of uh, Windex, like an all-purpose yeah. cleaner, yeah, or That's an all-purpose cleaner, and just make sure I've that even it's used Dawn, yeah, soap. a little. Uh, make sure it's just well, well diluted. You know, I wouldn't just go <laughs> taking, you know, the, the bottle of Windex and you know spraying all over. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, no. So um, that's that's what I've always done. You know, if it you know gets a little bit of dust up there or on the top there. And I remember some of those clubs I worked at back in the day had like Rumpelmintz or Jägermeister just like poured oh, yeah. on the turntables and just sticky alcohol everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they still work. I mean, it, yeah. Quick sidebar on that. Um, shout out to Jason Brooks, aka Naughty Groove. 
um, he had a set of decks that he had that he kept in a basement. And then there was either like a, a, a flood or a pipe burst or something happened and the turntables ended up underwater and he pulled them up under from from under the water, let him sit, you know, with a fan on them for a couple of days, you know, next thing you know, he said, you know, after he made sure that they were completely dried out, turned right back on had, and, and they worked That's fine so for awesome. years. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we should turn that into one of those like vine videos of the thug life, <laughs> like, like a real quick one, like just show them underwater, show them dripping out and then playing the next time. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, as far as the outer casing, I mean, pretty much whatever goes just, you know, I've used, don't like, take dusting, turpen- yeah, you know, pledge or whatever. Yeah, don't and- take turpentine to it or anything like that. You might ruin your, your, uh, uh, powder coating. But other than that, you should be fine. Now, one thing that I always cleaned on my on on mine inside the tone arm and i don't even know you know how people yeah, would lick the end and put their head shell in well those ends build up inside so you would take a number two pencil yep. put it on the inside and rub it on those connectors to yep. get all that gook off of that yep that's it so that was point number one that i was going to go for is make sure all your connections are good i didn't even know if that's like if that was a myth to do that or if it's good or not good so you know, i don't know is if it's okay good or not that? good so what i would say l- to l- that before you get too far into that, let's let's clarify what we're talking. We're talking about unscrewing so, the head yeah, shell. So on the back of the head shell, there's 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 four connectors that connect inside of the tone arm, and a lot of times they wouldn't connect. So people would you know put a little spit on the end of their finger, rub those connectors, put it in. You know, it worked. Well, eventually, after time, all that spit would build up on those connectors inside the tone arm. Yep. So we would take a number two pencil put it inside a tone arm and roll it around spin a little around. bit, spin yeah. it, yeah, to clean those. So what I would, the only thing I would say to that is that that's the right idea because you're absolutely right. You know, enough human spit building up, you know, especially over the course of a, of a night, you know, if every DJ licks their needles before they put them on there. You know. <laughs> that's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it, so yeah, over over time, that spit and all of that gunk does end up building up. So um, what I read somewhere years ago was instead of using a number two pencil because that can leave, you know, shavings of the actual eraser up in there, mm-hmm. uh, which would still so you you would be getting rid of the spit, but then leaving some other debris. Right. So instead, using uh, Q-tips with rubbing alcohol. Oh, okay. And then it, it, it's not as sturdy as a pencil and and uh, and an eraser, but once you get it in there in between those four yeah. connectors and really start moving it around. Well, maybe that's that's what we should invent for one of the early items in the passionate DJ store. It's oh, like a like a yeah. sturdy like shaped like a pencil. It's like the perfect width for that. Yeah. But has like something safe for with like mm-hmm. a, a mat. The the Mr. Clean Magic oh, Eraser. See, we're on giving the end. away all of our ideas. <laughs> right here. Patent pending. Patent pending. Right. Let's don't have to hit the airwaves. <laughs> not this part. Cut. <laughs> um, okay. So, and the same with your RCA connections. I mean, those are aren't aren't as common to get dirty, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of uh, there have been a few instances of, in in my experience where, um, you know, you've got the turntables. You plug them in. And, one side is perfectly good, then the other one is, ah, and, and you look over everything, you lick your needles, and, you know, you do everything under the sun, and then you pull out the, the RCA cables and you look, and one of them might have, you know, some gunk, or it might be even, like, rusted or, or have some kind of corrosion in there, and just always, you know, you want to make sure that your connect, anything that is an electronic connection that carries your audio, you want to make sure those connections are clean. 
Um, so you take the, let's say you just just bought a, a set of used techs, mm -hmm. and you bring them and you set them down. You're inspecting your connections. So a standard, at least a Mark II, has um, the RCA cables, and they're not they're like male leads right. coming out of an actual wire. Right. And then you've got the ground wire. Right. With like a little horseshoe connector at the end. Not by the end of this show. And <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and then you've got the power. Right. And these are all actual cables that are built onto the unit. Right. Um, you plug everything in. You check your connections. Uh, you screw your head shell on. Um, I guess we should talk about the the feet too. Do the, are those adjustable? Yeah, um, and really those and they have some kind of shock absorbency too. Yep. Yeah, that's part of, that's part of the the patented uh, technique design was the the actual feet, and really, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm not sure if there's an actual like correct setting for uh, the feet other than making sure that the decks are level. Okay, you know, cool. so that's it. You know, if if take for example, if you live in a house that the floors aren't exactly even, and if you've got everything up on a table or a desk or a shelf of some sort, and there's a slight cant to it, then you can, you know, lower the feet on one side and extend the feet on the other side and use a level to make sure that it's it's a level, um, okay. uh, uh, plane. But okay. I don't know if that's proper. I don't know if that's what it was actually intended for, but. You know, that's that's the only time I've ever really messed with the feet. Okay. So then we're going to uh, next probably put on a slip mat. Sure. So uh, for those who don't know or have never used turntables, why? What's the purpose of a slip mat? Um, to look cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> haven't you, you seen all of the slip mats uh, out naked, there? <laughs> naked techniques are kind of ugly. you got to put a nice slip mat on there. See, I don't know. Dress I've, it up. I've got it so... Uh, I've I've got a couple of favorites. I've got um, a set that have uh, the Mooks logo on it, which is basically like a light bulb with like little uh, devil horns and then a pitchfork in the middle. <laughs> really cool. Nice. You know, they're the thick like felt. You yeah, know, really, really nice. And it wasn't screen printed. Like it, it you know, it, it's a good design. It's never faded. Love those uh, uh, slip mats. But then I also uh, got a set. Uh, with Easy E on them nice. for Christmas. Okay. Thank you, Gabe Miller. Um, uh, one year, Gabe got me these things, and I mean, I, I, I just love those. So <laughs> I swapped those in uh, from time to time. But um, in my studio, uh, after I did a bunch of customization to my turntables, uh, I actually went out and found some with just the regular OEM uh, Techniques logo on them, you know, mm. just the the black ones with the with the with the logo, the mirrored logo or the nope, straight just, one, just a straight. Okay, I'm gonna say there's that that classic one too, where you've got the the white Techniques logo and then, and the, then the, blue, the purple bluish, bluish yeah, yeah, mirrored one. Yeah. yeah, those are cool. I think those are OEM. I think those yeah. those actually come with you know a, a brand new set. But so I've got uh, on mine now. I've got uh, a mismatched pair of uh, slip mats from the far side. You know, from uh, a hip hop yeah. group. Yep. They uh, they did some kind of package deal a long time ago on Facebook or Instagram or something, and I got a whole bunch of far side swag. It was pretty cool. And then oh, I cool. took I take pictures of it every now and then and post it. You can actually check uh, the passionate DJ Instagram account, Very and they've cool. gone on there and seen it and reshared it and stuff. So it's kind of cool. Very cool. Um. All right. So we put the slip mat on. Uh, why? Um. It. I mean. 
for for all intent and purposes, that creates a protective layer between your record and and the platter. The platter is metal, so you you if you put you know the record directly on the platter, you run the risk of you know any kind of damage to the the underside of that. What it also does is it it gives you the control of the record uh, for queuing purposes. So you know if you want to you know do the you know, spin back like back queuing. Yeah, back queuing. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, so if you want, if that's when you're doing your back queuing, you're able to take control of that record and manipulate it without the the platter scraping doing any, yeah, the wax scraping against, and the doing any damage. The, yeah. Yeah. It makes it a little more flowy too. Yeah. That right. way, yeah. Um, but when the turntable, don't they come with those rubber mats already? They do. They do. Most I, people take those off, though. I mean, you can DJs use take most those. DJs, yeah, yeah. yeah. but. You can keep that rubber mat on there if you want, yep. and you don't have to use the right. slip mat. But yeah, yeah, I forgot all about that. Um, and I think, it, I mean, again, if anybody out there knows uh, the per- the intended purpose of the of the rubber mat, by all means, you know, correct me. But um, I think it's a it's a callback to all of the other record players that mm. you know, if if you bought like one of those all in one units, they all had you know that varying. You know, some of them were really thin, others were really thick, but they all had that That rubber. rubber. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that was just for, you know, your listening. Yeah, your regular household unit. Yeah, it's just like rubber tires on your car. Exactly. For grip. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. So, yeah, to Tony's point, every DJ I've ever known, myself included, (laughs) what's this for? (laughs) Toss it over the shoulder. I never even had them by the time I got them. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, shoot, man, these... What was the first model of uh, 1200 was 1979, 78, Some, yeah, late something 70s like that. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of these have been around for yep. ages and ages. Yep. Yep. Um, okay, so we've got our uh, needle on. We've got our slip mat. We'll on. come back to the needle, too, because okay, there's it, when we get to when we start talking about calibration, uh, the needle plays a huge part in that for okay. sure. And just, I mean, just so we're covering all the bases, keeping it real simple, you know, the, the techs have a pitch fader, obviously, so make sure that's centered on zero. Yep, 33, 45. If you're just playing a record. I mean, yep. we're not talking, we're just acting like we're testing a brand new, or, you know, a new turntable for the first time or whatever. Right, right. Um, so what else do we need to cover from there? Do we, do we want to go to calibration from there? Yeah, because um, that, that, that'll be the more... This will probably be the most technical part of it because it's the the part that most DJs, in my experience, either never learned, never cared to learn, or just always forget about. Like, because that's one of the beautiful parts about a technique turntable. You plug it in, you put a record on, you put the needle on the record, and the drum beat goes like this. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It just plain works out of the box. You don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff to get it to make some noise. Yeah. So, but this is the part that I'm most interested in because right. I, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to myself and my records and my turntables by not knowing what all the knobs and dials do. For sure. You know, d- well enough to know how to that I should properly I, set it up. I was right. shown a certain way, but I still don't even know if it's if if that's the right way to do it. You Same. Know? Yeah. Like it, your needle floats. You know, you drop everything at zero, and then you dial it a couple times to two point five and one point five, <laughs> right. and you're good. But 
yeah. when it comes to scratching or anything, it's just it's there's so much to it. Yeah, so, so that, let's, that's we, that's a good point to that there is. So everything I'm about to cover, and as far as calibration is concerned, is how I've always done it, and how I've read that others have done it. That doesn't mean that there aren't other ways of doing it or other ways that might work better for, say, a scratch DJ or for, you know, somebody who just bought an SL1200 and wants to use it for listening. Or keep their, you their know, 12 because, inches in pristine condition right, for mixing right, only and right. not, like, uh, put divots in their stuff. Right, yeah, because there there is a big difference between, you know, the person who wants to preserve as much of the quality of the of the record as they can for as many plays as they can versus somebody who you know is scratching the hell out of them you know because that's that's their performance right you know versus others that you know I'm mixing the last 32 to the first 32 you know so you know going back and forth you know so there there are going to be a bunch of different like things that you can read that are going to be contrary to this. But in my opinion, this calibration method will work for 80-20, you know? So can we start here? I mean, it does it depend, you know, how you calibrate it besides the way that you play or your intent? You know, is this for easy listening, if you want to say yeah. that, or yeah, yeah. scratching or whatever? Besides that, um, what other variables might affect how you calibrate it? Like, for instance, the stuff that you put on the turntable. Like, does the, what needle you have on there matter? Does the type of slip mat you have matter, et cetera? Slip mat, not as much. Um, if it's a thicker slip mat, then it'll just be different from... Uh, the only thing that'll really be different is where you consider your needle to be parallel or, you know, to be uh, level with your record. So uh, let's dive into that. So... Okay. Um, I guess what what are the options for calibration? Right. So it's a good place to. So uh, starting off, so um, the first thing you want to decide is are are you a listener or are you performing? Okay. If you're a listener, then the height of the tone arm assembly is going to be different from if you're a performing DJ. And the way you determine the height, there's a um, like a little lock on the mechanism for the tone arm assembly and it, it it's just it just looks like a little switch and if you un and if you push it on over to one side then there's a dial that goes around the entire base mm -hmm. and you you can turn that once that lock is undone and if as you turn it if we're talking about you're gonna just be a listener you're never going to get into scratching you're not really into performance djing you just want to listen to your records typically you want to go about 1.5 on that dial. Okay, and this will be the biggest dial that, that you see. Around the base of and the tone arm assembly. Just like, <laughs> being completely honest, I had my tables for probably an amount of time that I could measure in years and didn't even realize that that was a dial. Oh, really? Like, it just looks like a part of the <laughs> a assembly. Part of the assembly. So you kind of yeah. got to look for it. Absolutely. But it's there. So then, if what you want to do is get more into performance, you're going to be doing a lot of back cueing and scratching, then um, you're going to be looking at more of a height of three and a half. So okay. for scratching, you want it raised higher. Raised higher. Because for easy that, listening, lower. Right. So okay. I guess we could think of this like a lever, right? So you're putting more pressure on the other end. Right. And that's why for something that might be more aggressive, like scratching, right. you know, fast scratching and stuff like that, then you want to lift the back end up because it pushes the needle in 
down into the groove a little harder, which makes it steadier, but right at a cost of well might be number of plays of, of a piece of wax before you start to hear any noticeable deterioration you know things like that but but wear um, on your record and probably exactly. on the the needle as well right 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 um, but, does it affect sound quality at all do you know um not in my experience but okay. I, honestly i don't know that i've ever actually set up any of my turntables to be at the 1.5 height mm. So I've just always, you know, I've always been DJing with mine, so okay. not, not just a listener. So what what about if you're just like uh, uh, more about, you know, the the way that we generally play, if, uh, you I know, kind of long blend transition type DJing? Uh, especially because you get, it, we get into back cueing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you find your, your first... Uh, your, your your first beat, you know, that you're going to mix with. And, you know, we're sitting there and we're going, pooch, pooch, pooch. And you still know, back to yeah. boring, like actively so, DJing. Right. So that, that it, it warrants going that, that extra little bit of distance. And then especially if, like, you do any back spins or. So you, do you, you think know, we should like put that, that at a 1.5 as well? No, I or think three, I would say 3.5. Or 3.5. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so once we've determined our height. Um, now we want to put our needle on the tone arm if it's not already, and there's a counterweight. So the counterweight, um, this is one of the hardest parts and it took me forever to really get this. (laughs) So (laughs) this part I actually do. I know what you're getting at. So (laughs) the counterweight um, needs to face forward, so you need to be able to see the numbers. The counterweight is on the back end the of back the tone end arm, of the, tone the arm. opposite of where the needle is. Right. there, It's a big chunk of metal. Um, shiny. It's shiny, and it's got like a, a dial, dial with black. It's a black dial with white numbers on it. So what you want to do is you want to pull that sucker off, and then what you want to do is you want to find the threading, like that, that all, there's actual threading on there that as you turn it onto the tone arm, you'll feel it. It'll, it'll catch. And as you screw it on, then it, it will stay in that groove. I've seen so many people that just rip the tone arm off or the, not the tone arm, but the, the counterweight off and slam it back on. No regard for the threading I, at all. You know, what's crazy is I never slammed it back on, always spun it on, but I would always reverse mine really yeah and then just push it all the way up i imagine you could put it on backwards if you wanted to i just noticed like uh, being around a lot a lot of, of scratching and stuff that's something right. that i was i was taught just to put the numbers reverse and and you know and put the counterweight back on but all the way to the very um front front of the tone arm as far right. as it'll go front right so let's be clear is that, that what we're talking about when we're adjusting the counterweight is where it sits on the tone arm how correct. close it is or far away from correct the needle basically but, so what you want to do ahead. is as you're turning it from as far back as it'll go you want to turn it very slowly until you get the needle or the entire tone arm to just balance level with the record so, so it's just like hovering. Hovering, right. And the tone arm needs to be on it like parallel with, with, with your record. Right. So it'll be floating in midair, not pointing Correct. up, not, not pointing touching down. the record. Right, right. Somewhere in the like when you like using the scale at the doctor's it's office. Like a teeter totter. Exactly. Pretty yeah. much. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So once you've got it level, 
take it and put it back on the cradle and, and lock the tone arm. Then, without moving the, the counterweight, grab the dial and move it to zero at the top. Right, so hold the counterweight, right? Hold the counterweight. With one hand and turn the dial. And then the turn the, the dial so that, zero, so that it, it shows. Zero is 12 o'clock. Yeah, that, so that zero is at 12 o'clock. And now you have. Now we're calibrated. Well, right? no, you're, you're zeroed. We're zeroed. Right. So, um, so from there, so once we're zeroed, then what you want to do is you want to look up your particular needle brand. So that means you have to look. So if you're using Sure, uh, what is it? UR44s 40, uh, or SR44s, mm-hmm. whatever those are called. SM or. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And uh, they're, those are really popular with scratch DJs. Um, the light labels. Ortophone um, has the Concords, the Pro S's. That's all what I've got. Pro yeah, S's. those are pretty common across DJs like ourselves. Um, so what you want to do is you want to look up. The, calibr- the, the counterweight calibration for your particular needle and head shell combination. So if you're using the Technique head shell with one of those, you know, needles that you have to put on for um, the head shell, or if you're using a banana-style Concord or something similar, then you look up what the, the, the counterweight in grams is. And when you look that up, then what you want to do is you want to turn the counterweight towards the front until that amount of grams is showing at 12 o'clock. So what then what you've done is you've applied that many grams of right. counterweight towards the front, which is the proper amount of pressure for your needle when it's zeroed. So just to kind of reiterate in a different way, when you, um, if some DJ comes to you and says, your counterweight should be set as blah, blah, blah. They are mistaken unless they happen to know what your particular specs are for your particular cartridge and, and setup yep, and everything yep, yep, yep. because it varies and that's why it's adjustable. Exactly. So there is no one-size-fit-all setting for this. Absolutely, right. It is absolutely dependent upon manufacturer and model of head shell and cartridge uh, combination, for sure. Um, and... Also, another thing I wanted to kind of toss in there is that I don't think uh, necessarily what we're saying is that, uh, for instance, if you sometimes listen to records and you sometimes scratch and you sometimes mix, that you have to redo your entire no. calibration. The, no. You know, this is so that you can be educated enough to you know, make an informed decision on how you calibrate your turntables based on your habits. Right, right, exactly. And, I mean, because I've got mine set up, you know, as you know, as the performance type of setup, like what we're talking about, and I listen all the time. Since Prince has been dead, I've been, you know, going back and forth between side A and B of Purple Rain you yeah. know? <laughs> almost see, every I, and day. And I've been practicing scratching, so I'll probably calibrate one of mine as such, because right. I'm doing that a lot right now. Right. But then, right. you know, revert it to something more middle of the road later. Exactly. So um, I think that pretty much covers as far as the, the tone arm is concerned. Um, now, again, there will be some other settings out there. There's going to be a lot of opinions. There's go- There are different methods that are just as valid, but this is what I've always done, and it's always worked for me. Okay. Um, so now that, um, 
we've got the um, so now that we've got the tone arm and needle calibrated as far as the weight's concerned, now we got to deal with anti-skating. Now, depending on who you talk to, some people don't really pay attention to anti-skating. Some people do. Basically all what we're, what we're talking about, because it, it, to the untrained eye, to the untrained person, it does say, seem like anti-skating does nothing when you're playing a regular record, unless you are really paying attention and actually like, you know, watching what's going on there. But what anti-skating is, is it's the amount of, um, waving that the, that the tone arm is doing while it's in the groove of the record. Okay. So if, if it's too wild, then that needle is bouncing off of both sides of, of the, of the groove, which will wear down the record faster. We're talking like horizontal movement. Like not uh, not bouncing up and down on the record, right, right. but the other way. Right, right, yeah. exactly. So, um, so what you want to do is you want to keep that that movement, that left and right movement, to a bare minimum. So there, that's why anti skating is there. There's a couple of ways to go about it. The quick and dirty way is to say, okay, if I if I have my height set at one point five then I should set my anti-skating somewhere between 1 and 1.5. If I've got my height set at 3.5, then just turn it all the way up because the highest it goes is 3. Okay. That's the quick and dirty way. If you really want to get precise with it, you need a record that has a blank side. So, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which I think I've got one, but (laughs) it would take me a long time to remember which one it is. Which one it is, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So if you can find one of those, when you put the needle down, then all of a sudden, you know, depending on what your anti-skate is set to, it'll either go right to the middle or it'll just kind of, you know, slowly head towards the middle. What you want to do is play with anti-skating until it just stays where it's at. On a blanks on a blank. Gotcha. Record. Okay. So, if you can get it yeah, to, I'm st- learning. Right? Yeah. So if you can get it to stay, then you're a wizard. Because I don't think I've ever been able to get that to happen. I always do it the quick and dirty way because I get frustrated with <laughs> trying to get it. To- <laughs> hmm. So, an anti anti skate is is probably the most obvious adjustment you can make. It says anti skate on it. It's a dial. It's right. on you know in the it's same right. general area as everything else it's that everything we're talking else. about. Yep. Um, and it's basically, I guess, it's the the turntable's resistance to moving towards center. Right. Yep. Pretty cool. much. So that that's that's pretty much calibration for say the tone arm. Okay. Um some of this other stuff we're we're gonna start getting into taking the, the deck apart a little bit. Um we'll we'll start off with the easy stuff first. Um not a whole lot of uh complication to that. Okay. First, what are we talking about? Like tearing them open? Why? Well, so there's a couple of options. So that's the thing about uh, about it. If you bought your turntables brand new, or if the person you're buying them from never opened them up, then they're probably still set to whatever the manufacturer you know set them to. You may never even care about any either of these things. The two main things are your uh, pitch adjustment and your braking adjustment. So to get to those, though, those are potentiometers that are hidden underneath the platter. So this is where things get a little... A little wacky. So those are rotary dials, just yeah, for the uninitiated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. 
uh, uh, potentiometer. Yeah, the potentiometers. Yeah, sorry, I should have probably said that a little <laughs> bit better. They're 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 not obvious dials. They kind of look like little plastic screws on the circuit board itself. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, one of them is blue and the other one is white. And if you look at the circuit board itself, I think the braking adjustment might say V201 or VR201 or something like that. But the pitch adjustment actually says pitch adjustment or on it or something like okay. that. Um, but one of them is definitely blue. The other one is definitely white, at least on a, on a Mark II. Um, so there's a right way and a wrong way to take the platter off. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about the wrong way, which is how everybody tries to do it at first. <laughs> um, when you take your slip mats off in the platter, there are two holes. Mm -hmm. What most people try to do is put their fingers in the holes and then their thumbs on the chassis and pull up mm -hmm. on the platter. And if those, if that platter's never been taken off, you're going to be meeting a lot of resistance. Even if they have been taken off before, you're still going to be meeting a lot of resistance. You got to remember that these are direct drive tables that are powered with basically magnets. Yeah. When you pop that that platter off, it's it's actually kind of anticlimactic. You turn it over, and there's just like you know an array of gigantic you know Magnet. magnets in the center of this <laughs> thing. Like, oh, that's all it is. <laughs> But there's a right way and a wrong way to take the platter off. So instead of putting your thumbs on the chassis and trying to yank it up, what, you, what the manufacturer says the proper way to do it is to push with one thumb on the spindle okay, and push up from the center. And that's the, the I don't know why, but, you know, the leverage there is supposed to be a lot better. If it still doesn't come off, especially if it's the first time you've ever tried to take it off, then what they suggest is getting a second person. One person holds the platter, you know, by the two holes with their hands. And then the other person uh, taps lightly with like a small hammer mm, or something like that. Mallet or, right, 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 okay. right. So, um, so once you've got that off, then you're staring at a plastic cover uh, that is uh, screwed into the pilot or the, the, the top piece of the, uh, of the unit. Um, this is where I will uh, throw in that from personal experience, I highly recommend that before you do anything else <laughs> while listening to this podcast, listen to it in the car on your way to your grocery store Go get you a box of sandwich baggies, post-it notes, <laughs> and a marker. <laughs> and listen to this all the way through. And listen to this all the way through before you do anything else. Um, and I'm, I'm only partially joking around there. I mean, it, from personal experience, um, there are a lot of screws mm -hmm. to a unit. And depending on how deep you get into the unit, it, it can become very... Um, easy to get lost and forget where things go or lose screws because some of these are really super tiny and stuff like that. So I highly recommend one sandwich bag for every set of screws for whatever it is that you are undoing. So in this case, if we're going to take that plastic cover off 
to get to the circuitry underneath it, then have a bag for the screws for that piece. Please, um, please don't email us asking where a particular screw <laughs> or fastener goes because I love you guys, but we're, we're not going to no respond idea. to that. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, and it's all, it also helped me to take pictures. So like okay. it once, not, not from the very out, you know, from the outside, from the 30,000 foot view, right? Like once you get into the circuitry though, and you start undoing some stuff, then yeah, I started taking pictures, like just to make sure that I put everything back the way that it should go. So if you're a visual person, that will that will help out a lot. Um, so yeah, keep your screws in individual uh, sandwich bags. Use the marker and the post-it notes to make a note for yourself as to what they go to. Um, so yeah, so that said, um, so once we take that cover off, then you're looking at the circuitry of the turntable. It's not that impressive, you know, unless you're like a really techie circuit board geek, um, which I am not. Um, but there are t these two screws, uh, plastic screws, one's blue, one's white. What, what we can do here is we can adjust the braking. That's the easiest one to get the most uh, bang for your buck, depending on how you like it to break. So old school belt driven turntables, if you hit the stop button, um, then it would take, you know, I don't know, two and a half weeks for the record to finally stop spinning. <laughs> right. Um, whereas with these direct drive turntables, you get a lot more control over that. So with a, with a Mark II technique 1200, you can actually tighten it up so much that when you hit the stop button, it stops so hard, it'll actually go backwards. Mm. Which, you know, if that's the effect that you want to go for, it's actually kind of cool, you know, to play with for a little bit, but for everyday use, not so much. Probably irritating after a yeah, while. Yeah, <laughs> after a while, exactly. So, um, but you can also loosen it up so that it, it you hit the button and it'll just keep on going yep. and going. So for yeah. you CDJ <laughs> users out there, especially if, uh, something like uh, 2000 Nexus, the vinyl brake feature, that's, exactly. that's, what this, that's what that emulates. And yep. so that might help translate for some people you know what that knob does to slow down how how quickly the the track you know slows down when you hit stop yep that's exactly what go. it does so the other one is um for pitch adjustment so uh on a on a mark ii i think the m5g i believe uh they introduced uh plus or negative um 16 percent pitch adjustment but Everything before that was, you know, plus or minus eight. Well, some people figured out that if you get in there, Panasonic gave you the, the option, you know, with this, with this screw, you can turn it and you can either tighten it up or you can loosen it up. And if you tighten it up, then that gets you higher. It won't get you quite to 15 or it won't get you to 16, but it will get you more um, okay. it, you can get faster and, and slower and so some people realize though that the plus eight and the minus eight is not bpm it's percent percent, percent. Yeah. Exactly. yeah exactly and those percentages will be wrong if you start doing that <laughs> if you start playing with it exactly <laughs> exactly um so one note for that though is that if you if you do start messing with that you can get faster speeds, which is typically faster and slower. So you can, you know, widen your range is basically what, what we're talking about there. 
But if you do that, you lose some degree of accuracy. Um, and, and I've, you know, I've seen it a bunch of times. I've played on decks like that where somebody got in there and they cranked that all the way up so that, yeah, when I, when I push it all the way up there, you know, I'm probably getting close to 11 or 12%, you know, yeah. increase, but now suddenly but then, a millimeter of movement has a much different, a much more drastic effect. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a lot harder to keep that, that, that beat going because it's such micro, mm-hmm. Uh, adjustments. So you can uh, simulate this in like tractor, for example, by just changing your pitch range. And you can pick eight, sixteen, fifty, and a hundred, or right. something like that. And you can kind of get a feel, even just with a mouse, how different it is to move the pitch. Uh, right, you know, right. by adjusting. My first it. set of turntables um, in the in the pitch control. I remember it had a huge dent in it. So when I would go in between minus two and zero, sometimes it would go plus two. Uh, it, it was just, it was insane. So like having to learn like that. Right. Yeah, it's micro movements. Right, right. So you can go the other direction with it and you can limit your range, but then, and, and you'll maintain better, better control, but you lose the, the width. So instead of plus a negative eight, you know, maybe it's, you know, plus a negative four or six. Um, so you can keep better control, but yeah. you just don't have as, as much flexibility as far as your pitch control is concerned. So those are the two major uh, options that you can just change that those are provide those are options that are provided by the manufacturer. You can get in there with a Phillips head screwdriver mm-hmm. and you know tinker around with it and figure out what works best for you for sure. I have a question that's related to this and I, I don't know if you can answer it. Um, it, maybe we should come back with a with another episode about this because this relates to time code a little bit. Sure. But my experience with my decks is that so I use Tractor Scratch at home. I've got a Control S8, and then I've got my decks on either side, and I use time code records. I've noticed that it, since Tractor has a phase meter, so I can kind of watch and see what's happening when I'm doing my beat matching and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that it'll be a little bit off, and so I'll go to make an adjustment. So I'll give the record a little nudge or twist the spindle or bump the fader, uh, the pitch fader up a little bit or do whatever I do to make my correction. But the pitch fader method works fine. But if I'm, if I'm nudging or twisting the spindle or dragging, you know, trying to slow it down, dragging the platter or anything mm-hmm. like that, um, it doesn't... It, it adjusts it temporarily, but it's like it speeds right back up to where it was. So the phase meter goes down when I'm dragging my finger right. on the platter. But as soon as I let go, it goes right back to just as off as it was. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out why this happens. Um, like, so if I grab it a lot and slow it down, like a little too much, then it might ju- the phase meter might jump on the other end right. that far. Right. Right. So... But I don't feel like it does this with vinyl, with straight records, if I'm just playing straight through. It, it only seems to happen with Tractor. And so I struggle with it a little bit because it's like I try to make an adjustment and it just doesn't work. And so then I overcompensate and then it overcorrects. So, but when you're doing that, are you trying to fix a, uh, an audible phasing issue? So like you've got two kick drums and they seem to be canceling each other out. So now you don't have any, any oomph in the middle of your mix, or are you seeing a meter 
that is telling you that you that you're oh it's off. both like it's obviously off a little bit okay. yeah, i mean it's not shoes in the dryer but it's right, right, you right, know right. when when you've got the phase you're just a little bit out of phase and your your hats are it's it's kind of in that spot and so you know i'm talking about when i'm beat matching and cueing the headphones right and then i make an adjustment and you know i can run my finger on the record and speed it up a little bit and it'll sound fine for as long as i'm doing that and same thing with dragging it right but as soon as i let go it goes back huh so it's like i'm constantly manually doing that yeah but i don't seem to have that problem with actual records so I don't know if, if that's a problem with time code or maybe it's just something I'm not noticing unless I can visually see it. See it, right. That's where I was going with it because, I mean... I guess what I'm getting at is, that, is there some adjustment or is there something wrong with my turntables? Because that I, doesn't I seem right to me. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, because I, I've, I've, I've come across that too. But, like, you know, from the vinyl world, you know, I, I learned early on that if you've got two records that have very similar sounding kicks... And if you are two on and you've got both of, you know, you're trying to bring both of them in at, you know, with, with, the, sure. with the, you know, base up all the way on both of them. Yeah. They're going to cancel each other out. And then all of a sudden, where's my kick drum? You know? So yeah, you got to either drop one or, or, you know, you got to do something to, you know, to, yeah. to compensate for that. Um, so I've just always, you know, it, whenever I get a little too on, I will purposefully kind of tap it, mm-hmm. tap the platter just to get off sure. so that it'll, you know, I can, you know, keep whatever EQing that I'm trying to maintain there. Once I've got, you know, the bass all the way out of one or, and whatever, then I'm, I mean, I'm my, okay Mine's not even, it's it's less precise than that. It's it, I don't even get to the phase cancellation part. Okay. It's like, it's not shoes in the dryer, but right, it's somewhere right. between that and, hmm. and that. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, there's just a certain range where it's like, I mean, it, it's almost enough where I could still bring it in and, and 90% of the crowd's going to be happy. Sure, sure. So it's not like painful, right. but in, in that just, it's almost their spot and I'm trying to get it perfect. It, it won't let me <laughs> <laughs> unless I use the pitch fader, which probably is better practice anyway, but right. I can't figure out why it's doing that. It's just, it's huh. weird. Yeah, um, and is. then on the other thing is, another thing I've noticed is if I'm, Maybe you have an answer for this. There's the mine still has the center detent, and so for what if people don't know what that means, my pitch fader, when I move it to the center, it clicks and a light comes on, and that means you're at zero. It's straight through, no pitch adjustment whatsoever. It's right. just playing the record and it's locked. And that's that's one it's of the things very accurately locked. Right. That it's called quartz locking, quartz and lock. that's that that was also a patented thing that that techniques implemented. And so it doesn't matter how much of a pitch adjustment you make in under that platter. When that light comes on, you are locked in via the quartz lock and you are in there. Like that is zero no matter what. So if I'm playing a track in Tractor and it's 124 BPM and I'm playing through time code. So my record's spinning. I'm at 0%. Everything's playing at exactly 124. Everything's fine. If I take that, if I move it down or up off of that center click just enough to make that light turn off then sometimes like i'll move it above uh, uh, you know plus a little bit and it'll go to like 123.78 so it comes down a little bit even though i'm moving the pitch fader up and so i have to overcorrect a little bit and so then i'm trying to find okay where does it actually give me a positive pitch right is so that an adjustment thing, or, yeah, or my turntable well, screwed up? <laughs> no, no. It, that 
So I don't know if it was ever addressed as a defect, maybe. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But it's, it's very widely known amongst most DJs that the Mark IIs that have what it, it, it's called the zero click. So in that, there is that little range right at the zero click where it's not doing what you would instinctively think it's doing. If you go down, it actually goes up. And if you go up, it actually goes down. And it's all by like just millimeters or, you know, whatever, you know, just micro. I was about to say, so it was less than millimeters. Yeah, so this, this is interesting because I think you just answered a question for me that I didn't know uh, that I needed to ask <laughs> because <laughs> the the whole purpose of that, that center click is – Okay, quartz lock is engaged. That means Correct. this is being timed by a crystal, and it is playing exactly the speed it is supposed to, and right. whatever. So, and you when can you hit verify that, click, that, and you can verify that by looking at the strobe um, for the platter, the uh, little it, red light yep, shines little, on the platter. Yeah, uh, from the power from the from the power switch. And what should you see? And on the dots, I think it's the the biggest dots. So I think it's the second mm-hmm. row up. If you are looking at the dots through the red tint of the light, should be stationary. Yeah, it, it you know it, it'll, it's an optical illusion, but it those those dots should appear to not it's be a very cool yeah. optical illusion yeah. too. Yeah, right. And a I've, lot of people know, don't even realize that either. Right, yeah, right. So and we'll get into that a little bit more when we get back into pitch adjustments. Mm-hmm. But so to to your point, so yeah, when well, you're at that zero, you are at. Right, which I which I knew. Right, but just in the context of this conversation, I've I've always I've always appreciated the click, and most DJs that I know hate it. And right. that's if they modify their turntables, that's one of the first things they do is yep. they make it so it doesn't click and it's a smooth slide. Right, and I always wondered about that. I was like, you know, I really like it. I think I'll leave mine as is. But what they're actually doing is removing that quartz lock, right? No, no, no. so. So it, if they move it to center, what happens? So um, so this is a mod. We'll get into that. Or actually, I mean, we could get into it now because it's a fairly easy mod to do. Um, if you are so inclined and, and want to get rid of that, you can get the pitch fader out of an M3D, which still has the quartz lock. But it's a button, right? But it's a button, yeah. not a click in the middle of the fader. So when you take that one out of the M3D and slap it into the Mark II... When you get to the middle, the light still comes on, but there there's a ball bearing that is inside the Mark II fader, which is what creates that click. Okay. So it still will lock if you move it past the center point. Say that or again. If you if you move the pitch fader to center, it will still quartz lock. Yes. <clears throat> with yes. no button or anything. Right. Okay. Right. So, so so that doesn't get around my problem of when I move it off of center, it goes down or up a little too much. But without that click in there, the, for whatever reason, the M3Ds and higher, that is a much more accurate area now. Ah, so that, that, that makes me region. rethink that makes me rethink yeah. it because if it fixes that annoyance, then yes. I'm I'm down. I like knowing it, it feeling it go to zero, but if Right. If but it keeps hey. it from dipping when I go off of zero, that's pretty cool. Yep, because and I mean I never realized that that, that was a motivation, more, which for is it. really not that much more playroom, but it's still just enough. Well, and especially like if you are if you hang around a certain BPM, mm-hmm. and most right. of your records or time code, you know, has you playing around that region. It's really annoying when you're mixing like 122 and 123 BPM tracks together, <laughs> exactly. you know, because exactly. then you're right there at the end and yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, uh, replacing the fader is one of the cus- uh, the pitch fader is one of those customizations that can get rid of one of those annoyances. Okay, cool. I, I never thought of it from that perspective. I just thought just people didn't like the click because oh, it, yeah. they um, would prefer the smooth motion. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's very well known amongst See, man, most most is, turntable DJ or technique. 1200 turn learning all DJ. kinds of stuff today yeah it's called the zero click yeah. and everybody hates it <laughs> <laughs> now i hate it <laughs> so getting back to the the pitch calibration stuff so we were t- just talking about the platter dots so with that if you look around the power uh the, the power post there's actually a little scale there and it'll show you which dots should stay stationary at what percent that you oh, right. set yeah. your pitch uh, your pitch fader. It's got a legend <laughs> yeah, right in. <laughs> exactly. So if you take it to negative three, then this set of dots will stay stationary when you look at it through the through the power strobe, and then six percent, you know, then this this set of dots. So one of the things that you can do is you, if you bought a set of used turntables and they're, you know, the pitch on them is kind of all over the place, that's one of the things you can do is you can get in there and, you know, play with the, the pitch adjustment uh, and then put your platter back on, plug the turntable back in, and then when you put your, uh, or and then when you turn it back on, hit start, put it at, you know, three negative three, three, and six, and make sure that each one mm. of the associated dots is staying stationary cool. where it says it should be. Um, a lot of, you know, not a lot of people really play with that setting because, I mean, plus a negative eight, I mean, that's just, it was taken for granted. Well, that's all I can do. You know, yeah. a lot of people d- really don't get into the guts of their turntables. So, um, so yeah, so I guess, you know, we, we kind of already uh, started to break into the fun stuff you know, by talking about the, the pitch fader. So we um, want to talk mods? Yeah. yeah All right, so. let's do it. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned before... We are not responsible for yeah. it. <laughs> Whatever you do, it's on you. Send all legal... <laughs> <laughs> all legal correspondence. All legal to... correspondence goes to Tony D. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, the... Um, so yeah, again, in all seriousness, um, anybody who thinks that this stuff sounds cool, I can tell you from personal experience, it is cool. It's very satisfying and rewarding to, you know, take something that's OEM and looks like every what everybody else has, and to really get into the guts of this stuff and really play with it and get your hands dirty and make it into something cool. That said, there is a certain skill set that is really kind of required for that. Number one is soldering. If you don't know how to solder, please don't do this. Um, that is top notch, number one. That's why I haven't tackled it. I'm terrible with soldering for some reason. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, just putting out a Facebook post. Hey, do I have any buddies that yeah. solder? You know, I'm not that great at it. I took uh, an electronics repair class in high school, you know, yeah. and, you know, so I know the basics of soldering, but my brother is hands down much better at it okay. than I am. Um, shout out, Josh. Um, so, you know, when it comes to all anything like that, like we do that stuff together. You know, so we we tear we've we've torn each other's decks apart, and me and my brother, and uh, you know, we've done a bunch of mods to both of ours. So, um, 
One of the coolest things that I think you can do with it is that since the top portion is aluminum, if you take that part, you can take it to, you know, somebody who does any kind of painting and you can actually put custom paint jobs on on your turntables. It's aluminum. It'll it'll yeah. bake in a in a in a you know in a kiln and all that stuff. So um, that's one of the coolest things that you, you can see. And and really, if you look out on eBay, there's so many people that like do like all this custom stuff, and they charge outrageous mm-hmm. amounts for this stuff. Like I've seen one turntable be as much as three or four thousand dollars because of the customization, you know, just in a paint job you know, that they put on this stuff. And there's a couple of ways you can go about it, but, but, but because it's aluminum, you, what the proper way to do it is you want to make sure that somebody sandblasts it and gets it all cleaned up. And then once that's done, then, you know, that they prime it correctly. They do everything, you know, you want to take it to somebody who knows what they're doing as far as paint's concerned. And don't forget the, the decals and stuff are going to be gone too. So you need to think about that if you want those to remain. Right. Some of them, like, so like your, your pitch decals, you can order those online, you know, probably eBay that. Yep. eBay is where I got mine. I actually got black ones from, uh, 12 or for the 12 tens. Uh, but I had to order them from, uh, England for some reason. They, nobody had them in America. Um, (laughs) and there's actually custom companies out there that will do them in any color you want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. And Um, for people who aren't quite that brave, there are other options too. You can buy covers and things to just place over, place over it. They look great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, um, so yeah, uh, there's two different ways you can go with that. You can either go traditional paint or you can go powder coating. Uh, my personal experience, I've seen both. Um, I prefer powder coating. It's a lot less um, of an intrusive material, so it, it 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 will apply all the color in the world that you're looking to get without having to go as thick. If you apply, I've seen some people go as far as to do like automotive paint on their, on their turntables. And that adds a significant amount of thickness, thickness, especially if you add a clear coat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said there for the lower profile, uh, when you go to put everything back together, if you go powder coating. Mm -hmm. So, um, just a couple of options there, but the sky's the limit, um, I had a guy in Cincinnati who did mine and after he sandblasted mine, he actually machined them with like, um, with a, a wire disc on the end of a, uh, a power drill. So I've got all of these like swirls that he put into the actual, mm-hmm. you know, metal, which came out really cool after he powder coated nice. it in that, in that like translucent green. So yeah, it was, it was really slick. I, I really liked it. Yep. Go to Instagram.com slash passionate DJ and scroll down to about the first page or two worth of posts and you'll see, yeah, it's, they, they're great. <laughs> they're, they're pretty, we can post new pictures too. Yeah. I was going to say, let's, let's take a new one and, po- and post one up. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, so the, I mean, there's a couple of different options there and just kind of, you're at the mercy of whatever, you know, whoever you have to do your paint. Uh, there's always decals and stuff like that too. So, I mean, sky's really the limit when it comes to that stuff, but it's, it's one of the ways that you can get the most dramatic effect. The downside to that is to get the aluminum casing off, you have to break down the turntable in its entirety. So mm-hmm. that means you have to take the entire turntable apart 
every screw, every piece of it, like everything has to come out. Um, and that can be a lengthy process. So go yeah. back to the sandwich baggies, the post-it notes, and taking pictures for sure. Yeah, or else you're going to get lost in weeks worth of trying to find just the right YouTube video that shows just the right angle. And, <laughs> and I've you been know down what? that road. And, and I'm telling you, and, and I, I will also link this in the show notes, um, but the way I actually did mine was by a YouTube tutorial okay. and the guy did a fantastic job. So uh, okay. yeah, if anybody else is brave enough to go that route, I'll post that the, the YouTube tutorial yeah, that let's I followed. Let's give, give him some views. Yep, absolutely. Um, so another, uh, one of the most popular things that uh djs want to do to their turntables is ground them internally Mm -hmm. um this is what i want to do like more than anything right so everybody knows that that stupid little 18 gauge wire is like the bane of all of our existence especially (laughs) if you've got you know a mixer that you doesn't take that stupid alligator clip so you had to cut the alligator clip and then you know uh, and a million different reasons why we all hate that stupid wire. Everyone in the world has too fat of fingers to deal with every <laughs> mixer in the world that's ever implemented that stupid grounding post. <laughs> right, right. So what I will say as a, another disclaimer is I am not an electrician. So I, I don't know the benefits of doing it any other way versus the way that I have done it. What I will say is that the way I internally grounded them was a way that I found online. And after researching it extensively, this is the most popular way that I found okay. that circumvents any issues with time code vinyl. So there, there was a popular way of doing it back in the day where people would just pop that um, uh, ground wire and ground it to chassis you know, and, mm-hmm. and call it a day. Um, what people were finding is as uh, Serato and Tractor started getting more popular that it, it was screwing up that time code. They were having issues with software. They were getting, you know, sound quality issues. So okay. the way that I, that I discovered to get around that is once you're inside the turntable, so um, another tip for anybody who goes to do this if you have to go in through the bottom of the turntable, uh, when you take all those screws off and all of that stuff, you what you'll want to do is you'll want to find a couple of stacks of books to set the turntable on as it's upside down. Because if you think about it, when you flip that turntable upside down, then There's the no tone arm is there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you don't want to bend the tone arm. So always make sure you've got a couple of two-by-fours or some stacked books or something sturdy that you can set the turntable on upside down on and, and protect the tone arm. So once you've got the bottom, uh, taken off and then you'll see the circuit board for the, uh, for the tone arm. And that's also where the ground wire is coming out. So when you get in there, there's the four, five, maybe six, little itty itty bitty tiny wires that uh are fed through the tone arm that connect to your uh needle right through the tone arm and all of those are soldered into that board there's a green one which is a negative lead for your tone arm what you can do is you can cut your uh ground wire at that point you know uh, shave off a little bit of the the shielding and get some raw wire there, heat up the solder, 
put the wire right in with that green one and when you remove the gun then let it let it seal so that both the green wire and the ground wire are both on the same contact once once that's dried uh, you know once that's cooled off you're good to go internally grounded i've never had a problem with tractor serato pioneer dj none of that stuff okay so um there may be other ways that you know that you can do it without having any issues but for me that's what worked okay great so, yeah so my my second most desired mod is probably everybody else's uh, I would love to have female RCA leads. Yeah. So yeah. Do, can we cover that? Oh yeah. So if if, if you're going to get in there and do internal grounding, you might as well replace your RCA leads. It all goes to the same place. Yeah. And so the idea is that this will, instead of having a, you know, wires coming out of the back of your turntable that you then plug into, you know, the jacks on the back of your mixer, uh, you instead have female leads. So you have two ports that come straight out the back of your turntable that you then plug a separate cable into correct to connect it to your mixer so yeah. it makes it a little more modular in that way right it's similar it's the way the cdjs are set up it, and, right. and a lot of controllers and yep. stuff like that so yeah exactly um uh and and really it, I would say, um, and a lot of non-techs <laughs> turntables are also set up this way. <laughs> yes, that's very true. That's very true. Some people are going, "Well, mine's fine." Oh, yeah, mine, mine don't have <laughs> male leads. Um, <laughs> to that point, though, if you're going to replace the leads, I wouldn't. A lot of people have gone, you know, pretty balls to the wall and gotten like monster cable and stuff like that. In my experience, you don't really need all of that. Um, you know, the, the RCA cable that's currently coming out of the, the turntable is a pretty standard radio shack quality RCA. Yeah. It's not anything special. And I've actually run into problems where I tried to go monster cable once and I couldn't even get the damn thing to fit through the, <laughs> the bottom, <laughs> you know, through the bottom plate. And when I was trying to solder it in there, there's extra wires for like, you know, ground loop isolation and, yeah. you know, all the shielding and stuff like that. So like it just, it, those really super high quality cables just ended up for me being more trouble than yeah, they were You worth. won't have to convert me on that. I, right. I think monster cables and such are just a huge scam. I've, right, right. <laughs> coming from, I'm also a car audio guy, so yep, that, all that here. stuff yeah. I always stayed away from. Yeah, so like... <laughs> Honestly, I went to Radio Shack and I got, you know, the six or eight or maybe even, yeah, I think I went six inch um, female uh, female RCA lead and cut off one side, you know, broke it open and, you know, um, and peeled back some of the shielding and just soldered it right in. And it's so been you, fine ever since. So you would take... I mean, do you know? Can we get as specific as you take the the white RCA jack and what and solder it here and? Yeah. So like, if you've got a, a six inch female to female or even a female to male, you know, you cut off. Doesn't the, matter because you're going to cut one end off. Right. Of so and cut expose off. Expose the bare wire. Right. Expose the bare wire. So then all I did is I just kind of made note of the wire that was already coming out of it. This side is the white oh, so side. This side just, is the you red spliced side. Spliced it together with the old like wire that was coming out. Yeah. So like when I you, gotcha. yeah. Cause when okay. you heat up that, that contact for, for the solder for mm -hmm. that lead that comes with the turntable, as soon as you heat that up, it pulls right out. Yeah. So, uh, and I think there's actually a, a wire tie that goes around that and the circuit board. So you might want to have a couple of wire ties handy to, to 
put that back on there. So then does that just stick out the back of the turntable and yeah. dangle, or do yep. you have it mounted somehow? No, it, it dangles. Okay. Um, it, I mean, I'm sure somebody who's a little more crafty than I am, you know, could like, you know, drill some holes through the rubber base and, and, and set it and all of that yeah. stuff. But for my, for my setup, I, I didn't think it was all that necessary. Yeah. Okay. But cool. yeah, so just re-soldering, you know, just doing an even swap, you know, white side to white side, red side to red side, and, gotcha. you know, solder it back in. So those are two really easy mods that you can do right in the same spot. Yeah. And those are, I mean, the, the biggest reason to do this, people are like, you know, especially if they only play at home and they set their stuff up once and it stays there, like, why would I want to bother with all this? Right. But if you're setting stuff like this up in a club all the time yep. or if you move your setup a lot or whatever, Mobile if you're like DJs me, you just change your and, yeah. setup all the time. Like sometimes I'll just ditch the turntables and put something else there and move it all around. Right. This becomes a real problem, but especially in a live environment, because then you're trying to fool around with the stupid host for the ground wire, and you're trying to, you know, this just makes all that way more, yeah, you know, it's way faster to deal with I'm that sh- in a live. Yeah, I'm sure Tony is a stage manager. You know, how many how many times have you gone to have to replace a turntable with a CDJ? You know, and you know the CDJ has female leads, so you have to not only get, you know, a, an RCA, mm-hmm. but then at, to his point, you know, you're, you're going to unplug the turntable. Mm-hmm. Shit. The, yeah. the, 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 the ground wire is still wire. hooked up. Or yeah. You, yeah. You turn it sideways and the ground wire breaks. It's not or, long enough. Just, there's right. always an issue. At We're least in this case, yeah, you run into situations a lot, Tony, where you, you have to swap a CDJ for a turntable or mm-hmm. something like that. And this, the ground wire is, to is just use the same exact wire. Yeah. The, the ground RCA wire, can, the RCA, it's so much more convenient. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's where a lot of DJs get most of the bang for their buck when they when they first start diving into mods. Like, that's the first thing that most people want to do is to swap out leads and or internally ground. So, um, I think I've actually got a couple of links that um, I, can, I can hook up uh, in the show notes for that cool. as well. Uh, some step-by-step type stuff. Um, we already covered a pitch fader replacement. You know, um, like I said, I, I I replaced my Mark II with an M3D, and it was an even swap. It was the exact same size. It, it I mean, for all intent purposes, it was the same piece. It just doesn't have the ball bearing in it that makes the click. And whenever I, I DJ around the zero range now, I don't ever have that problem. So, um, you know, and, and the faders are not expensive, you know, maybe yeah. 30, 40, 50 oh, bucks, okay. something like that. Yeah. So That's totally, totally worth it. Yeah. Um, after that, then you can really get as wild as you want. There's, um, the, the, the turntable itself uses pretty basic standard led lighting throughout. Um, one of my favorite things is when people like kind of go nuts with uh, super bright LEDs. Yeah. Some people don't like it because it, it can be a little bit of a distraction if you're in a club environment or, you know, if you're, you know, kind of used to looking at your records, mm. you know, but, you know, because um, I, I had a couple of people who have played at my house and they're like, wow, I, I can't <laughs> look at that. Like, it, it's cool to look at, but when I'm playing, it's hard to look at that, you know, because I... <laughs> I replaced every single LED light in my turntables with one of the super brights, all of them green. So like, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, like when you, when you turn off the lights in my studio, like the whole room just is a bright, like, you know, alien green. (laughs) So, um, 
So yeah, and and those you can pick up at any Radio Shack or you know hobby shop stuff like that. But again, those can be a little bit more tedious because it does require some serious soldering skills. So once okay. again, shout out to my brother for that because without him, I'd have probably burned my fingerprints off and you know ruined my turntables and all that stuff. But um, there's a, there's kits out there too. So like if if you don't okay. want to like you know, try to figure out which size light goes into which port and all of that stuff. You can actually buy kits. They're a little overpriced because it's a kit, yeah. but um, some of them even get really fancy and uh, show you how to put an orbital underneath the platter so that, like, you know, you can take, like, that, that plastic cover that's under the platter, drill some holes in it, and then mount these lights and then wire it into the power supply of the turntable. And then the lights, like, you know, turn around, you know, under the, the platter and ring. rotate in the opposite direction of the platter and do all kinds of, like, <laughs> funky stuff. But um, my brother did that with his. I, I ended up opting not to do that with mine. I was pretty happy with how mine turned out yeah. so but yeah there's i mean the sky's the limit with that with with the mods and stuff like that that's cool last week as a matter of fact you you mentioned one of the more um uh innovative mods yeah i was just going to bring that up i was just going to ask you what what the coolest mod you've ever seen for i because I, I wanted to bring that up <laughs> yeah no i you know i i think it's kind of limiting you know because it's a poc a uh, proof of concept um, but it's really innovative. Like it, it, it kind of turns the whole. Yeah. So w what we're talking about is if you listen to the last, I won't say last week's episode, but the, the last the episode, last episode, yeah. <laughs> um, there was uh, a bit of news that I, I talked about where some, uh, somebody in Russia, Russia I think yeah. took apart his, uh, old set of texts and made it so that it was like an internal, uh, DVS, DVS system. system. Yeah. It was yeah. all built in, so it played like off an SD card that you just actually put on the unit itself. Didn't require a computer or anything, and the entire interface from browsing and selecting records and all and tracks and all that was all done with only the couple of stock buttons that are on. You know, so it, it looks bone stock. Right. You know, right. yeah, it's pretty pretty cool project. Yeah. It's, it, not terribly practical, but it like you said, it is a proof of concept to where you could say, "Wow, if you just put like you a know, screen you, and a couple of buttons, yeah, on it the, wouldn't take much to right. make that a whole thing, right?" Which is kind of neat. Yeah, the the whole time I was listening to that story, and then I looked it up after. Then you know, in my head, I just kept thinking, "How cool would that be if somebody even just was able to add that on, like you mm -hmm. know, make it like another a, a bolt-on piece to yeah. any turntable." You know, or you know, specifically a, a twelve hundred or whatever. But you know, have a small screen, you know, a, a USB port, or you know, if Techniques ever decided, you know, or Pioneer, hey, let's branch out and see what we can actually do with this, and you know, make a new turntable that has all of that kind of built into it. It we would could, be pretty. We cool. should sell like third-party passionate DJ Techniques <laughs> tables with right? all these mods. That's on. what I'm. It'd be like the Ligenfelter Corvette, you know, yeah, Roush Mustang, or like third-party come. <laughs> in and makes a super badass one. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. So, um, I mean, that's pretty much all I've got. I mean, there's, uh, 
I would love to hear, you know, what other people are out there doing. So if, if you're, if you heard anything that you'd like to correct us on, or if, uh, if there's something that you've done that you didn't hear, uh, you know, here on the show, then that you want to share, I, I would, I would love to see that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm always like, you know, uh, totally into what other people are doing with the, with their decks and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Awesome. So let's do uh, for call of action. Uh, if you've got a set of turntables, take a cool picture of them and uh, tweet it to us at DJ with Passion. Or if you prefer Instagram, uh, just post it on your Instagram account and then tag at Passionate DJ. Show us what uh, what your setup looks like. If you don't, show us a picture anyway. Show us whatever setup you've got. Show me what you're working with. Yeah, we want to see it. <laughs> no nudes. No nudes. <laughs> no. That's Send what... nudes to Tony at Passionate DJ. <laughs> no, no, the nudes are first. The Snapchat, Passionate DJ on Snapchat. But other than that, no, no, no. Please don't send me nudes. You're gonna see many windmills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. With that note, <laughs> see ya. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys, and appreciate all the uh, well wishes on Twitter and email and everything for my back. I am feeling better, so uh, we'll be back next time. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. I, I imagine that you could do it from the back if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! I was just going to blow right through that. <laughs> Shout out Peter Grill. <laughs> Ooh, man, that place is delicious. Um, mixed combo, lamb and chicken. Oh, my God. God, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>